Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, always Edward Jones, and joining me is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. I hope it is exciting. <laughs> On tonight's uh, episode, we have a dose of family entertainment as we look at the world of Kanako from 2014 and directed by Tetsuo Nakashima. A film in which a dirty cop goes off in search of his missing daughter with interesting results, shall we say. But more on that when we uh, talk about our feature presentation a bit later in the show. Before we do, it is of course time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, have you seen anything of interest at all? I've seen lots of things of interest. Um, <laughs> however, for it, um, basically I've had a little bit of time for work, been catching up on some longer movies that maybe I wouldn't have had a the energy to watch, um, sort of three-hour movies, um, including um, Midsommar and some things yeah. like that. But in terms of this podcast, I... I, I watched a film I thought I might maybe watch before, maybe I've even recommended before, um, but if I had watched it, it was a long, long time ago. And I um, finally got round to watching um, A Farewell My Concubine, um, the uh, Chen Cage 1993 sort of award-winning drama. Um, I'm sure I spoke about it when I did my uh, Leslie Chung uh, Tales of Asian, Dark Tales of Asian Cinema. Yeah, three hours long. I was a little wary of it, um, despite the fact, you know, it's got it's got Leslie in it, it's got Gong Li in it. Um, but I have to say, Chen Cage isn't a director I've always connected with. However, um, this film is fantastic. It's basically, well, it's not basically anything. It's, it's, a, it's a sort of existing in two different worlds. It's the story of, sort of the 20th century story of a couple of boys who grow up within the Peking opera system and become stars. Um, one always plays the male king role, one always plays the girl roles, and basically it's a LGBT kind of drama, um, although it's more about want, uh, more about um, unfulfilled desires and things like that. Um, if it was just that, it would be fine. Um, it would be really good and well acted, and it's absolutely beautiful to look at. But also at the same time, it looks at the sort of the history of China in the 20th century, from the sort of the last days of um, the the empire to the, the initial founding of the republic, into various uh, epochs under communist rule. And how these um, these events and these different regimes affect the uh, the characters, and so it, yeah, it, it's kind of got this historical bent to it as well. Um, it's an investment of time for sure, um, but it is beautiful, and it's really it's a really fascinating piece, and I can see why it won um, the Palme d'Or at Cannes and and various other awards. Um, and is always on those sort of best of lists of all time, and I feel a bit of a fool for not watching it from before. Yeah, certainly a title that I've heard of, but not actually got around to watching. Um, I think it's always the case when you get like the more highbrow and more acclaimed titles that you feel that you've got to build up to them more, and it's probably why there's so many gaps in my sort of Kurosawa viewing. Um, that and the fact that like Seven Samurai is about four hours long, so it's 
Yeah, I mean, I, I have a real problem with films that stretch over two hours normally. <laughs> um, I, I, str- I struggle to pay attention, and I'm sure like you, sometimes, you know, home, home video allows us to uh, watch them in pieces, but I guess that's not the way they were designed to run. And like I say, um, uh, Chen Gage is one of those, um, what's it, a fifth generation or whatever they call of, of Chinese directors that make very worthy and and well thought of films but I really struggle to connect with them but yeah this one um, really good highly recommended I probably wouldn't bring it to us for um, an episode though hmm. <laughs> yeah I mean uh, well certainly I think as we wrapped up the 30 days of Halloween shortly after we, we recorded our last episode it was been really surprising what's really sort of vibed with our listeners um, certainly you should be really happy with yourself as one of your favourite films of all time uh, Dreamhouse everyone seems to be very excited about that so yeah it's definitely a film that we need to cover um, if we don't cover it before Halloween next year we really should um, it's a very atypical Edward Pang film but uh, Hong Kong cinema obviously has lost a lot of its bite um, certainly graphically the, the age of the cat free is pretty much gone the the imposition of mainland China and its censorship has really neutered a lot of Hong Kong cinema, and it's a it's a throwback to those days. It's a bloody gory mess, but with a fantastic social message as yeah. well. So yeah, we we will be picking that up when you're obviously there putting out the titles and you're trying to really get a good mixture of Asian horror represented. And it's just funny those titles, as we said uh, on the last episode, it's just those titles that suddenly sort of like resonate with people for whatever reason. We saw saw the same with Wicked City, uh, Confessions. There was slightly lesser surprise. Everyone was very excited about Confessions, and same with uh, Tetsuo or the Iron Man, uh, which I came very close to uh, pick him for our next episode but we've gone with some gone a slightly different path with uh, where we're going to talk about on our next episode and we'll talk obviously reveal that a bit later in the show but um yeah tensile the iron man it always amuses me it's all like what is it about that movie that appeals to people and instead of like is it the artistic style or is it just everyone's really excited to see the giant penis drill yeah it's a it's a funny one um I remember getting it on VHS, mm. and so we, we, we often talk on the show about uh, sort of how we were introduced to certain sort of that era of J-horror, um, Audition and Battle Royale and things like that, which, which sort of all came on DVD. Um, Tetsuo seemed to have a life as a cult film before that, because I, I definitely, I think I want to, some, I want to say it came under one of the, um, one of the labels that was more interested in putting out anime. Um, it's got a very, it's a very experimental film. It's, it's a very um, uh, I guess the one that you connect it to westernwise is like a razorhead. Definitely so. In terms of it, in terms of the sort of that that indie pseudo sci-fi feel, um, and even now, even after sort of a remake and another sequel and things like that. There's never really been another film which, certainly from Japan, which has done that sort of human machine thing so bizarrely organically. I mean, it's it's a thing. There are things like The Machine Girl and lots of films with with 
robbery appendages <laughs> and things like that that go on. But there's something industrial. I think that's that's where it's different. It feels it's very industrial, very. Um, I mean, when when was it? Is it late eighties? The original. Yeah, I wouldn't say the the, the original uh, one was in the the late eighties. I mean, it's only it's a really short film as well, which is what always gets me because mm. you think it's this like a normal length movie but i think it just clocks in just over an hour but yeah it came out into the uh into the 80s so 89 and then we had so two body hammer which came out in 92 and body hammer was very much like what evil dead 2 is to evil dead 1 it's a slightly glossier mm. remake and i think if we were to obviously talk about Tetsuo, then i would want to sort of do the two films sort of side by side just because there's such an interesting comparison and also because whenever people talk about it, so they always talk about the first film and then nobody mentions uh, Body Hammer. And The Bullet Man, I think you can you can take it or leave it, depending on it, how much of a Tsukamoto fan that you you are, really, because it's sort of really just one for the fans, that one is. Yeah, he's he really does tap into that Lynch vibe. I mean, everything's very so industrial, everything's very grimy. And it, it, it's just in a very much a league of its own but it it was funny but the fact that he was like taking inspiration from like the american cyberpunk movement and then that the film comes out and it inspires a bunch of americans to basically copy the japanese cyberpunk style and bring it back to america so it's uh one of those ones where one one group influences another same way that we saw with like kurosawa's interview was like heavily influenced by john ford to like the point where he wore sunglasses like john ford when he was on set i mean despite the fact that john ford needed those glasses to see because he was blind is beside the point <laughs> and then obviously following on from like kurosawa's films come out you've got the likes of um like george lucas and francis ford coppola who just draw like huge inspiration from his films and then in turn uh, executive producer keiji musha the shadow warrior so it, it's just funny how like when you follow like that chain of influence and just seeing who influences who and i mean more recently we've seen it with the likes of uh del toro who's just uh taken on a real mentor role for the director of uh tigers are not afraid but even before him he was like almavar was his mentor and basically was like he saw chronos and was like whatever you want to make we'll go and make it and then they did devil's backbone together so it's uh it's sometimes fun just to see who's influencing who and and uh, who's carrying on, who's um, sort of making those moves to try and continue uh, the things that they love. Yeah, especially when it sort of crosses, it crosses uh, cultural language boundaries, you know, that, that I mean, I mean, you say, obviously Kurosawa, the, 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 the original Kurosawa is, is, is a huge influence on Western cinema, though, as you rightly say, probably was so different because he was taking a whole bunch of his influences <laughs> from um from from western cinema outside of his contemporaries who probably were taking it more from their own stories their own you know the, the their own theater and things like that so it's kind of interesting but uh, i mean yeah um tetsuo is a is a strange film but the fact i had it on 
yeah. videotape and the way that I remember it being on videotape rather than a wonderfully pristine Blu-ray. I'm sure it's all available on that. That just seems right. It's like films like Hardware, the other <laughs> one, where I feel that, that it only works if you watch it on a... Although our memories of VHS are actually a little flawed, VHS look way better than than we remember it did. It's only it's only when they're uploaded to YouTube that they're terrible. <laughs> it depends on <laughs> what generation it, it was. Because if you've got like a nice pristine yeah. first generation, say you like bought a film, then it, it still holds up pretty well and I think it accommodates, especially for certain films, it actually gives it that little bit of a buffer. It makes it seem a little more polished than it perhaps is and when you get it on Blu ray and you see like mm. all the wires and just like uh, you do, you basically uh, you're seeing a bit too much of how the sausage is made. It's like no, this isn't as good. This is too pretty. Yeah, no, there's there, there, there's a bit of that. There's there's definitely a bit. Of that. Obviously, I'm into my retro computer games yeah. as well, and obviously, uh, I, uh, I I don't always like all those old games being all tarted up to HDMI 720. <laughs> Da, 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 da. You know, they, they were they were made to be on a CRT and four three and <laughs> and and I feel I feel there are some films like that as well, which which definitely. Tetsuo I think T- Tetsuo is one of those films that it's is true form is to be passed around and like like third generation VHS tapes in like hush hush like things. It's 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 like this. It's like this oddity, like a like a trauma movie, and the fact that it's so unlike anything else, and it's so bizarre that I mean, I taped it off off Channel Four when they showed it as part of like their late night viewing, which it seems like the perfect place for it to be. It's just some sort of like late night viewing. You just it's a sort of movie you stumble across, and now obviously, being you know, media being consumed as it is. I mean, Tsukamoto's films are seen as a, in a completely different light it's much more of an art house side that we tend to to view these films as um but i think he's definitely an he's an interesting director and someone someone worth looking at i mean tom Mez obviously did that really fascinating book the iron man about him which is well worth mm-hmm. picking up along with his book on takashi Miike agitator um both of those are, are really fantastic and now he's obviously Tomez is off writing books for arrow books at the moment he uh, did one on Lone Wolf and Cub, and uh, he did uh, one on. Oh, I can't remember the name now. Yeah, oh, I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> but yes, he is. He is. He is doing that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, Shinya Sakamoto is a is a director. I don't think we've covered properly. We've not covered we? him. No, um, we've constantly said, "Oh, we're definitely going to do to Sakamoto," and we've had requested it to cover to Sakamoto, but. You know the stars haven't quite aligned in our planning uh, to no, make happen. I think the only time is is in our in one of our Halloween drafts. I think I brought up Kotoko. I think I've brought that up a couple of times, and I know that we, you and I, have talked about Snake of June maybe being an episode. But yeah, we've never really brought it to the flesh. And now we probably spoke more about him than than he will be in a proper so. episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's laying the foundation here, but um, yeah, he's he's definitely someone whose filmography we need to go on. Perhaps if we just stop looking at so much Sion Sono, we might get around to watching it, so Well, I mean he kinda of predates those guys, uh, in terms of his um in terms of his output. Um 
you know, he started making films back in '74. <laughs> I mean, that not 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 feature yeah. length things. '89 was his first feature length thing. But you know, he's he's been around and predates both um, Mike and Sono in terms of his uh, feature output. So we really we really do need to have a have a go. We'll 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 um we'll propose that as one of our New Year's cool. resolutions. Um, is there anything else that you've watched at all? Um, nothing else on the Asian cinema front, I don't think. Um, I'll probably suddenly remember something soon, but uh, no, just been catching up. Saw the joke, saw Joker as well. I've just basically been watching a whole bunch of films which people have been rabbiting on about for a couple yeah. of months and being completely nonplussed by them all. <laughs> Normally the way, isn't it? So. <laughs> I know, especially Midsummer. I, I can't. I can't explain how disappointed I was with it. I I had no interest in watching Midsummer until I saw the bear in a cage commercial that they did. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. Don't get me wrong. It's 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 one. It's probably the most beautiful, and I'm going to say horror film in, with with rabbit ears I've ever seen. And the main performance is fantastic by somebody I'd never have thought they'd be able to put a performance like that in. But after three hours because I had the director's cut I thought and that was what <laughs> <laughs> at least with um, Hereditary as much as I didn't like the ending at least you couldn't accuse it of not trying <laughs> I've yet to watch both of them so ah yeah they're, they're, they're very interesting um, and but yeah um, I think I think that they do have a divisive opinion or a divisive lot of opinions about them. People either love them or hate them. A bit marmitey. Um, well, over on Movies and Tea, we're currently in the depths of production hell, as we've been working on Season 4, which, following on from our previous seasons, looking at Paul DeBrea Sanson, Guillermo del Toro, Sofia Coppola, Season 4 is going to be looking at the work of Ang Lee, our first big main name uh, director, and we've... So far, we've uh, got the first two episodes ready to roll out, and they should be coming out in the coming weeks. Um, more importantly of this, the first episode, we looked at the Father Knows Best trilogy, which consists of Pushing Hands, The Wedding Banquet, and Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Uh, the last of those three, we've certainly discussed the opening of it and how mm. much we enjoyed that food porn <laughs> that it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's an interesting one, Ang Lee. Um, uh, again, another director I don't always connect with. Um, his early Taiwanese stuff, yeah. His stuff that he's done in the West, I have a very... Uh, either love it or hate it okay. kind of thing. Um Probably my favourite one of his is probably Lust Caution, which of course is when he went back yeah, to Taiwan. Yeah. But even that, even that's a film not without problems. I know everyone really likes to criticise his sex scenes for some reason. He's the only director I know who has the sex scenes criticised. So we'll fully find out. Oh really? I did. I didn't know that. But yes, you, you've 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 taken on quite a challenge, you and Kim there, because there aren't there aren't any quick ones to get. <laughs> well, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a slightly edited season, as there are a couple of titles that just like you know, Ride with the Devil and um, Billy's Halftime Walk that we're not going to be covering. So 
it's a slightly abridged season because we do about eight episodes a season, um, which normally works out fine when you've got someone like you know Del Toro or Sylvia Coppola who've got uh, haven't got that many films in their filmography. But obviously with Ang Lee, he's a uh, he's a mainstream player, so he's got a few films under his belt. And certainly with the Father Knows Best trilogy, it's a really interesting trilogy of films. Um, something with Pushing Hands, which is kind of focuses on that sort of. Uh, on themes which are going to really sort of resonate for his work, work sort of that clashing in cultures between the East and the West. Uh, you've also got the about the idea of tradition and family honour as you've got this elderly Tai Chi master who moves in with his son and his daughter who's an American and she doesn't speak Chinese and he doesn't seemingly speak American. And uh, it's really sort of about the conflict divide there. A, unfortunately for some reason my dvd didn't have any english subtitles so there's large swathes of uh, chinese dialogue that were untranslated and i thought it was an artistic style that you're supposed to be like feeling what the daughter character feels and not being able to understand it but apparently that's not the case so okay <laughs> you've just reminded me about a film i did see you okay. carry on i'll pick this i'll pick this up after um <laughs> so the next one obviously in that one would be the wedding banquet which is more it's more of a western uh film and the film which i enjoyed so much i watched it three times in one weekend but um it also gave us winston chow who at the time was working as a flight attendant and was spotted by angley and brought on to be his leading man which is quite a career jump and uh basically Lee brought him in and said, you know, we'll give you acting lessons between scenes and sort of guide you through it. But really, really, really fun movie um, with uh, Winston Chow playing a gay uh, Taiwanese-American man who is being bugged by his parents to get married. So he holds a fake marriage with one of his tenants who's uh, looking to get a green card. At the same time, his parents decide to like fly over and throw this huge wedding banquet and it just throws everything into chaos as his boyfriend is uh, there pretending to be the landlord. And uh, at the same time, you've got the these two uh, these two people trying to pass off uh, the fact that they're deeply in love and the, the parents are there trying to obviously, you know, throw their traditions onto them and uh, give them this, this elaborate wedding banquet which of course features more food porn as well as uh, Shi Hung Lung who appears in all three of these films really fantastic he's kind of like um, Federico Lupi to um, to Del Toro and just that he's this actor who's reappeared four, at least four times in uh, Ang Lee's work he's in Credits Attack in the Dragon as well and he's there in this original trilogy of films as the title of father um this film also stars uh, mitchell lichtenstein who may not be a, a name that jumps out to you but he was also would go on to direct teeth about the dent of vagina which is a interesting yes. little horror movie <laughs> um but yeah out of the three wedding banquet's really funny it's just just a fantastically fun time um, and then we obviously get into Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which is just, a, it's more of a traditional Asian cinema film uh, with the aging master chef who was losing his sense of taste. And at the same time, we've got his three daughters who are all struggling with their own paths in life as they look towards moving 
out and uh, starting their own lives. Uh, what's interesting of, of this film is the fact that you've got the younger daughter, who is an interesting contrast, works in a fast food restaurant compared to her father, who's working in like a five star restaurant. So it's uh, went on a little too long for myself, but uh, it's it's certainly an interesting film and visually it's really interesting as well but some great performances uh throughout and it's a it's a trilogy that i would recommend watching obviously for each drink man woman and the wedding banquet but pushing hands i think you can you can take or leave it and it's kind of funny with pushing hands it was his debut film but it came out as his third film in uh in the west because of the success of each drink man woman uh sort of let them see. Oh, what else has Ang Lee been directing? And let's. Uh... Although bizarrely, it was it was made in the US. So... I know. <laughs> Odd, oddly, <laughs> but yes, you know, the, the the such is the ways of the independent filmmaker, isn't it? It's it's only after they have a hit that uh, people go back and look at their previous work. It's it's uh, always the way, and it's it, you're certain. Kevin Smith's another one for that. I mean, Dogma was supposed to be his second film and it ended up being his fourth film. So it's kind of bizarre when you see at the end of Clerks, it's like Jay and Silent Bob were returning Dogma. And it's like, <laughs> there's another two movies in between that they're returned for. So. Yeah, I don't wonder what that film would have been like if he if he had only made, if he hadn't made I miss smart Kevin Smith. Because his yeah. original career path was, you know, he'd make the smart movie, then he'd make like the dick and fart comedy so like more rats and they do another smart comedy which was obviously chasing amy, chasing amy. and then yeah. he did dogma because film four gave him some money and then he did uh jay and silent bob strike back and it was sort of like just downhill from there i mean he's made red state which was really interesting and um i really like jersey girl but i don't think many other people do and zach and Miri make a porno is just awkward to watch with other people <laughs> it's just it's just it's kevin smith light i think he's quite proud of it to be fair um he's just like you know, done a new one on those jay and silent bob reloaded or whatever something like that called. i've seen i've seen him all over the place um pimping it i was a, i was a big fan i really like more rats to be honest with you i, I think I, I i don't mind a dick and fart joke yeah. now and again but um but yeah it is a bit sad i think i caught uh, not Tusk, I caught the one after Tusk. Oh, Yoga Hoses. Oh, for God's sake. I got bored of that. Just, oh. <laughs> it's a shame. But he's got the... Because that's part of his great North trilogy. Because you've got uh, Tusk, yeah. Yoga Hoses, and then you've got Moose Jaws, which is the fed one he keeps threatening to release. So He hasn't made not that yet, yet has he? Because he's doing more no, Rats no. 2 <laughs> or Clerks 4 or whatever the hell it is at the moment. I, th- I think he is doing Clark's yeah. three, isn't he? I saw that. Yeah. Um, but but yes. Yeah, so so on your uh, on the on the other podcast, I, I I we also of course I know how your Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon's going to go because I know what Kim thinks about. It's film. it's interesting, obviously, <laughs> when we talk about that because obviously Crouching <laughs> Tiger, Hidden Dragons, to Sense and Sensibility, we saw fighting, and obviously we just recently watched Sense and Sensibility, which you know is a two hours of riveting costume drama, which if you're from Britain where your only output, it seems, is costume dramas, and you're surrounded by Austin, you know, inspiration. We've just got Moors and Stately mm. Homes. It it holds no exotic appeal, to myself at least. And I know to, like, our friends over in the States and stuff, they really love it. I mean, they view Downton Abbey as this 
hip show, and over here it's like a show for the crumblies rather than anything that we watch. They probably think they all think we live like that, mate. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a butler holding my microphone. (laughs) We're just tripping over history here. We just (laughs) we all live in a castle and just long for a bungalow. Indeed, absolutely. But uh, yeah, sense sensibility. I know Kim likes. She's an Austin fan, and um. I think, yeah, when we get into Tag and Dragon, because, I mean, she rightfully says says to me that it's the fact that she came up watching Wushu movies. So it doesn't really hold any... The same the same way that Austin films don't hold an exotic appeal to myself, uh, those films, it's all, yeah, I've been there and done that. It, but, you know, I really yeah. enjoyed uh, Tag and Dragon. I still do enjoy it, and I love what it ushered in. It ushered in that little art house face with, like, Zhang Zimu and his trilogy and I mean it's one of the things we got Frank Tarantino for because the Weinsteins wanted to edit out the whole desert sequence and he was like, yeah. No, that's the best part, you leave it alone. I disagree. I thought of it. I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that film. I think it's a really slick cover version of much better things. Um and it's it's fine and it's important because of how it yeah. gave right you know gave gave a a second wind to a whole bunch of films and a whole bunch of filmmakers so you you and i probably wouldn't be here today without that 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 film's probably absolutely pivotal for for certain sorts of films getting distribution into the west but i'm with kim there are there are many films that went before it that you and i are both aware of which are vastly superior if not as fancy (laughs) and, and well shot and blah 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 even though maybe we could disagree about that but yes interesting so yeah there's uh, obviously been that and just on the podcast side of things I just want to give a shout out to the guys over at the Blade Licking Thieves who we've mentioned many times before but they're awesome guys over there and uh, recently they were talking about Survival Style 5 which apparently is kind of an oddity over there but over here it was like pretty well released yeah um I'm certainly, I certainly remember it getting reviewed and some kind of release. Yeah, the way they're, they're talking, it was like it was some black market find. It's <laughs> just something oh, no, that you... it's nothing like that, no. So uh, that's another one that I, we've mentioned it on the show before, and I think we've, we'll put some distance between us and them and our viewing yeah. schedule. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be in the wake of <laughs> just like following through and just like repeating what they said, so... No, but um, if you've not checked them out, definitely go and give them a, a listen. Uh, they're really, they're, uh, you know, they're over there doing doing their thing, and uh, they're just like ourselves. They're just free guys who just love Asian cinema, and it's not restricted to any particular genre. They watch everything from like anime and Shambara to kung fu and art house. It's uh, they, it's a really watch, wide range. They watch a lot of anime. They do watch a lot of anime, <laughs> and I don't know how they do. That's the only struggle I have with their podcast is the is the forty five <laughs> minutes of anime they seem to have managed to watch since since the last episode. And it's like, do you guys have a life? <laughs> I do, I need to. Um, I've I've got my own sort of anime watching going on at the minute. I mean, I'm still watching Dragon Ball, um, and I'm watching Fist of the North Star still. So, well, next episode we'll have an update on what's happening in the exciting world of Dragon Ball because it's been a while since we talked about Dragon Ball. And, yeah. Uh, 
but I haven't really watched. <laughs> the problem with Dragon Ball is there's a lot of filler and char- a lot of episodes of people charging up. So it's while you can watch like three or four episodes, there might not be a huge amount to report. So uh, we'll get we'll talk about Dragon Ball in our next episode and gives you an update on where we are with things in that. But that's really kind of where everything sort of stands at the yeah. at, at the moment. Um, I just I just remember you just reminded me when you were talking about pushing hands. Yeah. I don't know how I forgot this, and I'm not quite sure where this fits. But I also saw what I think at the moment, and as we record in mid November, may well be my film of the year. Okay. Is that uh, it's it's an American film, but it's nearly entirely in Mandarin, so I think it fits our um our Ballywick. It's um it's the farewell. Um Oh yes, by, I really by want to Lulu see Wang. Um caught that the other day. Um uh, based on a <laughs> based on a true lie as it says in the um <laughs> based on an actual lie i think is what it says at the opening point um it's basically the story of um the chinese family um whose components are based in both in china and in japan and in america um the the, the famous name or those other faces you will recognize the famous name is nora lamor where she's known as that awkrafina yeah you know sort of her first proper dramatic non-comedic role um the grandmother who lives in china is diagnosed with cancer the family decide to not tell her because of the the way that, that the information is getting passed so they're able to hide this from her um there's there's, there's some sort of suggestion this is a normal thing to do in china i haven't ever come across this before i don't know if it's just what this family's tried to do but it's actually happened to the the director's real grandmother and this is what her family chose with it so basically the family the uh the american chinese family and the japanese chinese family come back and they hold a fake well it's not a fake wedding it's a real wedding but it's probably a wedding which wouldn't have happened if it wasn't to give her so they can all get a chance to sort of say goodbye without the grandmother knowing that they're saying goodbye um if it was just that it would be a pretty successful weepy melodrama but it's also got lots and lots to say about overseas chinese about the clashes in culture between the west and the east and also between japan and china as well which is a bit which not many of the reviewers talk about but it's oh it's it's so brilliantly acted uh okrafina is just amazing um in, and, and in a role where she can't be a sort of a sassy, smart mouth person that she normally appears to be. <laughs> um, but the real start of the show is the um, is the woman who plays the grandmother, who as far as I know hasn't ever been in a film before, but she may well be a big star in TV dramas or something. But I, I, I can't see anything else. Zhao Suzanne, she's absolutely fantastic. The whole there's a, There's a few other familiar faces around, but really really good um probably not our cup of tea um to be fair but um uh, in terms of this podcast but yeah probably my film of the year but i'm sure when i go packing in all those last minute films during december it may get pushed to the back a bit certainly it's on my list of films i really want to see i mean i do like aquafina as an actress i think she's really interesting and i don't know if you listen to any of her music at all my vag 
Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've featured can, a couple can, of our songs can, on the mixtape, so... I can I can say that on this podcast. I can't say another podcast that might be on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you go for our, uh, our archive of mixtapes, we've featured her a couple of times on there, so it's kind of funny when you consider that the girl who's obviously singing about her intimate areas <laughs> is uh, now this turning into quite an interesting little actress or actor should we say i'm very interested to see where her career obviously goes i mean it is interesting as well the fact that with obviously so much money coming in from the uh chinese chinese uh, filmmaking funds it's really meant that the cast have got a lot more interesting in hollywood productions now and the fact that we're getting films like this being brought across and things like crazy rich asians being made and i think it's uh it's great it's uh, what what we needed. We need more variety and more diversity within cinema, and certainly this financial move has really just uh, given us it. Even though it perhaps wasn't the most intentional move, so. No, but no, um, no. it's but um, yes. you uh, if you get a chance, watch yeah. it. Bring a hanky. <laughs> it's you know it, it it does do the old um, emotional blackmail on you, but. Uh, and like I say, she, she she's really good. As you say, she she's clearly the rising star. She's yeah. going to be doing. I think there's going to. I think she's going to have her own sitcom or something like that. Is is coming up next year? I've got. Um, but the fact that she's done this, and actually, um, she's half half Korean, half Chinese, but she's never spoke Mandarin. She's learnt Mandarin for the role. Um, although it kind of works because she's meant to speak it like a eight year old. That's the. that's one of the the points of it but bless her you know she does the whole film i say 90 percent of the spoken words is all mandarin um and and which is why i'm I'm, i don't know whether to class it as an asian film or not fully asian cast um interestingly apparently um when it was first suggested as a film the uh the western producer said oh it's too asian can we have some white characters in it (laughs) and they said no that that, that's not what it is. We won't do it. And then they got, tried to get some Chinese money, and the Chinese people said, "Oh, it's too Western. Can you have some white people in it?" <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is a yeah. But no, they they stuck stuck to the guns. Independent production. Hopefully, it's made a ton of money. Got a ton of awards. Um, yes, absolutely. It's the same as when uh, they used use the Canadian tax shelter to fund film productions you have to have one canadian in your production mm. and that's why robert picaro always turned up in every joe dante movie right <laughs> yes a similar thing down in um down in australia didn't they you know just you make you make the strangest films get made down there there's <laughs> a whole other podcast is talking about exploitation, don't they indeed, indeed um but yeah i'm you can, if you want to see more of her rapping, there's a documentary that was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still on there called Bad Rap, yeah. uh, which is uh, fo- follows four um, Asian rappers, and uh, it basically, you know, they get interviewed as uh, and uh, they talk about their style, and then their style gets analysed, and it's uh, it's an interesting little documentary, and it's through that that I first discovered Orkafina, and it she just happened to be the one that out of the the subjects in that documentary that just sort of really got picked up and uh, and really had her career sort of blow up. So, good for her. Right, anything else at all? Or? No. What should we talk about tonight's movie? Okay. <laughs> so I think it's uh, we're up for ado. We should uh, fire up the projector and move on to tonight's feature presentation. Hello. 
tonight we're going to be talking about the world of Kanako, which is from 2014. It's a Japanese thriller directed by Tetsuya Nakashima and uh, starring Koji Yakashugo and uh, Nana Komatatsu. Brilliantly butchered. <laughs> yes. I would... Oh, fantastic. We knew it was going to happen. Was, the, the pronunciations were going too well on this episode. They were. We were, doing, we were doing brilliantly, and then, and then we took it apart. <laughs> so, if we just have a quick flashback, this is a film which Stephen chose to describe as this when he pitched it to me. Flashback. I hated the word of Kanako when I was at the cinema. I thought it was horribly violent and cruel and pissed on everything that I knew about that director because I'd loved a load of his previous films before um, like Kamikaze Girls so what I would like to do is go back in time five years and pretend I haven't seen World of Kanako and that you would watch it with me as well (laughs) so yeah that's certainly an interesting way to pitch a film which you want somebody to watch Stephen to like say that uh, to, to describe it in such colourful terms, and I mean this is a director that you actually like as well, and, well, um, and that's, the special I mean, that, of it to go and see. That's the thing. I mean, as I said last time, you know, I was really excited about this. I got to meet the, the director. This is the guy that did Kamikaze Girls. This is the guy that did Memories of Matsuko. This is the guy that did Confessions, which, you know, all, all of them are amongst my favourite films. And he stood up there like a grinning Japanese Father Christmas with his big white bushy beard. And he was so pleased with this film. And people were asking him all the questions. And I just felt dirty. <laughs> and disgusted and I always went back so I must have seen this this must have been back in 2014 when I got to see it um you know I got I got the chance to review it for Eastern Kicks and I for, for the last five years I've had I've got the DVD and everything and I'm wanting to revisit it because I thought was I wrong okay what was what was there something uh, will, will, will distance, will time and distance enable me to understand actually I was wrong and this film is great? Or maybe you can put your arm over and say, no, Stephen, it's it's a soulless piece of crap. <laughs> but, okay. I don't think, but I don't think you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think we should just start by saying we're going to split this film into, it's a two-hour film, so we're going to split it into the two hours. And the reason I'm going to do that is because there are some big spoilers in the second hour of this film that we're just... Good to do cover the basics and the for the happening in this first hour, and then we'll move on to the spoiler territory. So, if you haven't seen it and are a bit curious to know about the film, we, you'll be able to get a bit of an insight, and then you know for yourself whether this is going to be the film for yourself or not. I will, however, warn that there is going to be some subject matter which may be upsetting to those of a sensitive nature. So, you know, perhaps rather than writing those angry emails, maybe just like stop the podcast now and check out something else from our archive, which you can find at the Asian Cinema Film Club And uh, well, over there, you know, check out the writing that we got there. Check out the mixtape. Some old fun stuff on. On there but uh for those of you nice strong... segue sir <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who a taste are a little darker should we say uh this is a book this is a film based on the book uh Hishinaka kawaka endless first by akiro fukamachi and the film itself it follows a former detective 
uh, who has basically gone into a bit of a downward spiral. He's lost his job, his marriage has fallen apart, his daughter's gone missing, and his life is just in just sheer dysfunction. He's like popping pills, he's an alcoholic, and he's supposed to be seeing a therapist, but he just spends all his time lying to his therapist about his current mental state. And when his daughter goes missing, his ex-wife uh, contacts him to help him track down the daughter and he takes it on as a, the case as an independent investigator and only to find that his daughter's world is a lot darker than it, it would have first appear. So the film itself, this is a film which plays very much like Bad Lieutenant meets Taken. I think is the best Western comparison I can can play and it as you said this is a bit of a surprise move from nakashima who made sort of light-hearted fur like uh kamikaze girls and in his later career has only seemingly got darker as with every film that's come out and this being a real sort of turning point for him the film itself i mean our leading man um aka kazu here played by uh koji uh yakush <laughs> just fallen apart Koji Yakusho. Uh, Koji Yakusho. To call him an anti-hero would be certainly one way of putting it, but he is just a horrible, horrible person. He sees no qualm in beating suspects up. He's just violent and off-putting and disgusting towards everyone he encounters, but at the same time, he gets results. So... He's, it's through him that we're fought, taken into this really dark rabbit hole of that uh, that that he's following in basically trying to track down his missing daughters. He contacts her former schoolmates and through them slowly uncovers this world that she's a part of. So, yeah, Stephen, you aren't a, as I said, you said you're not a fan of this. I mean, did a second viewing change your opinion of it at all? Or do you still find it as disgusting as the first time uh, okay right so <laughs> um like like i've said a couple of times tetsuro nakashima is one of my favorite japanese directors and he's got this sense of style not just in the visuals but things that he sort of ticks and tricks he does with flashbacks and things like that that's all here in spades right it's a really great looking film with some really interesting use of music um interesting use of flashbacks different sorts of ways of filming things it's technically a really interesting film um uh we've butchered his name a few times but koji yakusho is like one of the biggest stars in japanese he's one of the biggest actors there is he's been in tons of films um uh, not just um, Japanese films, he's appeared in so Tampopo, he's in Tampopo, he's in um, Shall We Dance, which got remade as the Richard Gere film, he's in The Eel, he's in Cure, he's in um, a whole bunch of um, Kyoshi Kurosawa films actually. Um, he's in another favourite film of mine called Lakeside uh, Murder Case, but he also turns up in things like Memoirs of a Geisha. Um, I think he's turned up, I think there's another. Um, Oh, he's in um, 13 Assassins as well, and Harakiri, isn't he? I mean, he is a really, really popular actor. And what I remember is that the director stood up and said the thing he enjoyed most about this film was turning 
the ever popular Koji Yeku show into a bad guy into this <laughs> people would not un- would not believe that he'd managed to make him in such a filthy and reprehensible character and he is and so whilst the film is directed beautifully and acted quite amazingly I think my problem is that there isn't one nice freaking person in this whole film <laughs> nobody nobody I mean I mean um Again, we're gonna gonna avoid spoilers, I guess, to start with. But but yeah, you know, uh, uh, up front, our, our, our hero, our anti-hero, is reprehensible. His ex-wife, let's face it, is his ex-wife because she was sleeping with another bloke. <laughs> and <laughs> and, um, and there's a suggestion that the daughter isn't even his. <laughs> that's that's something that's been festering for a while between the pair. Um, We'll find out about the truth about Kanako herself. Um, but all her friends are horrible. They're all drug addicts or worse. <laughs> um, uh, the police force that we'll meet are, I think, without exception, hideous. Um, uh, we can talk about the Yakuza. Yeah, basically. Oh, yeah. It's got Joe Odegiri in it as a, as a Yakuza guy who's hideous <laughs> I'm um, I, I so for two hours you're 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 pummeled with this high energy filmmaking with lots of quick cuts and and jumping around and your brains being asked to to percolate quite a lot of, of lot of information and you detest everybody in it so I think I think here is what it is is I'm I, I can absolutely appreciate the art I can absolutely yeah. appreciate the the acting and the craft of this film what I can't do is connect with it at all because everybody is reprehensible okay um, Your opinion may differ. <laughs> yeah, this view watching this was an experience very similar to back on uh, of on Man Bad and Downright Strange, where we, myself and Greg uh, from the Debatable Podcast, we did a double feature of uh, Bruno Matai's SS Girls, um, along with Thriller, A Cruel and Unusual Picture, which is a sleazy double bill to say the least, and just the the shame in how enjoyable it was to watch so something so morally wrong and certainly the same can be said for this film which really taps into the same sort of grime that Abel Ferrara has made a career out of and Abel Ferrara obviously did Bad Lieutenant and for myself is a director if I want to watch something grimy then he's the go-to guy I know a lot of people would say that they often have like a grime director, so they say someone like John Waters or Henlotter, and they'll be like, you know, I want to watch something disgusting and grimy. I'll go and watch one of their films. But for myself, it's always been Abel Ferrara who did films such as like Driller Killer and Welcome to New York, as well as King of New York, and he specialises in that sort of realistic grime where you know people are flawed and at the same time the same people that they're supposed to be rooting for and I mean obviously Harvey Kotel gave a very memorable performance as the title of Bad Lieutenant and certainly when we look at the character of uh, Aki Kazu he is very much in the same sort of vein as Kaitel's, uh, Kaitel's character in that film in the, in the fact that he's got all these vices and at the same time he's a very 
good detective. He's still got a level of respect with the local police force that he was thrown out of as he communicates back and forth with uh, the police detective uh, Asai, a lollipop-sucking Satoshi Kusumaka Buki. I'm waiting for Steven to correct me on that, but I don't think he's going to. Okay. You did You did okay. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Better than me. <laughs> um, but as you, seem, as you said, it's the police in this film are just as disgusting as he is, um, which means that for him to really sort of stand out, everything he does has to be sort of like cranked up to 11. So <laughs> it, it, certainly he has no qualms about something so if the police beat up a suspect he has to brutally beat up a suspect um and we see him there's elements of, of rape in here there's sexual violence there's physical violence there's brutality and gore and i know that somebody's listening to this podcast and just like fist punching them it's like yeah this is the movie i want to see and I really don't blame you because there's a real grimy charm to this because this isn't someone like Tom Six making grime. This is an artist and someone who has got vision making grime. And here Nakashima is really sort of tapping not only into the Abel Ferrara vibe, but at the same time throwing in those same sort of artistic flares that you would expect from like Gregor Is Here he throws in like almost like Batman-esque flashes of cuts where the words like bang and fuck appear on the screen and blood splatters that randomly appear on walls it drifts off into anime moments um particularly in the the subplot here we have following a student student who's never named played by um hero shimuzu who forms who Gets a bit of an obsession with uh, Kanako. He's got a little bit of a shrine to her that he hides under a poster. And we find, as the film goes on, just the rabbit of the hole that he's been drawn into just through his involvement with Kanako. And, who, and, every, uh, and every time we go back to his story, there's a little sort of like 60s style bit of you, like three years earlier. And, and, <laughs> and, and for the commitment. One of the things I love about this director is that his commitment to things like that. So often you watch a film and they they do a little sort of visual or audio uh, thing to 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 put you back into that place where that's set in, and they kind of give up halfway through the film. Yeah, but he commits to it from minute one to minute hundred eighteen um, <laughs> to, to 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 those things. Um, but yeah, I mean that. Again, you, you think you're having an escape from th- to three years in the past, don't you? But but no, <laughs> the, the, the amount of bullying going on at that school and the levels of violence that are apparently just allowed, and students are allowed to walk around with their noses encrusted in dripping blood, is <laughs> bizarre. Well, there's a whole scene that we see early on with a student apparently falling off the roof. And his fellow students are so unfazed as they're spending the time kicking his his trousers around the schoolyard rather than than actually worrying about the students that you see this like huge blood splatting up. And I think there's actually students that you see laughing at the situation in front of them, which I don't know what it is about Japanese school students, but they always seem to be really psychotic. Whether we're looking at my neighbor thirteen with a throwing acid in one kid's face, or we're looking at, like the delinquent uh, schoolgirls series. Or Battle Royale, or... <laughs> you can throw a rock at the delinquent school children during Japanese cinema. Yeah, it's... It... Um, I, I, and again, I'm not entirely sure. Because the guy... The, 
again it's hard to talk about without talking too much about the plot but i think some of what we see isn't really happening yeah and what we're seeing is the memory of an event that happens or overlaid on top of how the school is it's a, it's a bit confusing because it turns out there's another character who's committed suicide another year before who actually ends up being the driving point of the whole plot but um there's just so much to pack in. <laughs> I think he just he says, "I'll just do both at the same time." <laughs> it's certainly. I mean, it's it's a two-hour assault on your senses here that you you get. So you're getting a lot of money, a lot of film for your money. And it doesn't let up. That's the other. I think that's the other thing. Quite often with these films, we saw um, when we watched Dead or Alive, right? Yeah. There's, Dead or Alive has got that that sort of first twenty minutes of mentalness. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly conceived, brilliantly directed stuff going on and at the end it, it just goes batshit crazy <laughs> but in the middle there's 40 minutes to an hour that are quite meh right <laughs> and usually you'll find there's like 10 minute let up or maybe there's a love scene or something or something to calm it down <laughs> I don't think this film stops <laughs> for more than a minute I think there might be a minute and even then someone's down in a tumbler of whiskey <laughs> getting ready to rape again or something <laughs> certainly so and I think at this point we're just going to say that you know from this point on there's going to be some spoilers ahead so if you want to don't mind those then uh, please continue listening otherwise just you know pause the podcast and go and watch this film and let's see what yourself you uh, think of it, think of it and you know maybe let us know in the comments section as, or on our facebook or twitter which you can find at ac film club uh we always love to hear what you guys think of it and you know we're, we'll wait here for you guys don't worry do, do, do. okay so uh, now you've obviously seen the film or you're familiar with the film or just perhaps just really want to have a listen to a podcast where we talk about disgusting things the second hour of this film, and you you get to the end of the first hour of this film, and you think, "Wow, this is that was that was really intense," and you know we're going to be wrapping this up soon, and then you realise, "Oh wait, there's another hour of this to go," and it's about the the hour mark that things really get dark. So it's got that taps into that same vibe as Martyrs, where you think, "Oh, this isn't too bad," and then they really open the box of uh, tricks of what else can we do with this film. And it's at this point we find out that Kanako, who on the surface she's like a straight A student, she's popular, she's absolutely gorgeous to look at, but at the same time she's like a crime kingpin. She's running a prostitution ring, she's involved with the Yakuza, she's pimping out her fellow classmates, she's just a nasty, nasty, nasty piece of work. And she's very much her father's daughter in that respect. Which is the... I guess the point of the film is <laughs> that she is her father's daughter. I think it's like one of the one of the last lines of the film. But yeah, I mean she she's been she's been driven to this by the death of her previous boyfriend, who it turns out was um Oh, was he? Oh, was it the accuser getting him to be raped by old men and stuff like that? Um, it's 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 pretty fucking dark. And then she just <laughs> takes it on in order. I think the idea, her idea, was was to infiltrate the yakuza by um, by helping them out. But it's all right because the police are involved in this prostitution ring and so, so, and. 
It's not just a priest. It's it's our hero's uh, our hero, and again we're using that term very loosely. His psychologist as well. Oh yes, that's right. I forgot about that. Who, yeah. let's not forget, has a thing about having gay sex with young men while dressed as a Japanese schoolgirl. As you do. <laughs> and I mean, this isn't even as bad as as things get. This is this is like this is the surface stuff that we're getting into now, and. Yeah, she's basically, she's been drawn into this world, but at the same time, she's not been sort of corrupted or enveloped by it. She's sort of like, it's almost like an awakening inside of itself. Like, you know, this is what I was meant to do. I was meant to be this powerful force. And, you know, there's gang members who respect her to an extent. There's rival Yakuza gangs who are busily trying to uh, track her down the same as same time as their father and again in typical yakuza fashion they're horrible horrible people who think nothing of slicing someone open and then standing on their chest wound in one memorable sequence mm. yeah <laughs> keep going <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like trying to think it's like what it's like oh and then that thing happened <laughs> i mean uh, the, the, i guess i guess the Things there are things that happen in this movie, right? Which in most other movies would be absolutely memorable and possibly be the 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 biggest thing that happens in that film. There are things that happen that I don't even remember. I've watched this. <laughs> I watched this film two nights ago. I remember it. I picked this film, and there are things that you're picking up that I barely remember. <laughs> that would be in any other film. The main thing that you would remember. It's, it's the, the amount of lurid stuff which is which is compressed into this two hours is phenomenal. Well, I mean, let's also not forget this whole sequence is set at Christmas. So, you know, this could have been our Christmas pick. It, 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 it's, it's a Christmas movie in the same way Gremlins is a Christmas movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know. <laughs> There's extensive scenes at Christmas, um, so that's always a, an interesting thing when you stumble a, across a film, because obviously uh, Asian culture, they don't celebrate Christmas the same way that Western um, cultures celebrate Christmas. I think they acknowledge it, but it's not as big they a go, deal. They go through the routine, but for them, after you've had the, the, the meal, which might be Kentucky Fried Chicken rather than most turkey, uh, you tidy all up and then you continue on. It's not a Obviously, um, Japanese culture is not um, is not a Christian society. Um, uh, it's not really religious in the way that we think of it. Um, it, 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 it they, they worship gods, but not in the same way that we worship our monotheistic god. So their festivals are a little different. But they do they do celebrate Christmas as a as a worldwide thing. Just as we think we've got everything figured out, uh, we're introduced to the hitman, um, who um, is called uh, Aikawa. Uh, so we're introduced to the hitman Aikawa, and he's very much like the criminal counterpart to uh, Akakuzu. And I couldn't help but feel that the similarity between those two names was intentional because of how equally disgusting they both are. And he's a hitman who basically loves what he does he loves to kill and maim people and at the same time he's been on the yakuza payroll so he lives this very suburban 
lifestyle. Um, he, for moral purposes, he's just this upper class man who's got a very nice home. He's got a wife and a kid. And he just goes off and does very, very bad things. And we obviously the get the uh, the showdown at the at the airport, and it it almost descends into like John Woo style madness as these two basically maim the hell out of each other, um, including a memorable kind of memorable uh, scene where we get to find out what happens when you shoot someone in the hand with a pistol at point blank range. Yeah, um, <laughs> fingers. <laughs> we also get um, Akazua um, being framed with what looks like bloody angel wings. Perhaps seem to indicate that he's the angel of death. May have some reading too much into that, but it was a cool shot. And it's at this point that the film really sorts of stumbles, and it's kind of ashamedly because it's been flowing along quite nicely. It's been very intense and very graphic for the for this sort of like first hour and a half but we get to the final 30 minutes and the film just really starts to stumble and just fall apart it doesn't seem to know where it's going is it's trying to tie up loose ends we're trying to find out what the deal with this unnamed student is and um where kanako is and we obviously got the final reveal of, of what's happened to her kanako and where she is so I don't don't know about yourself, Stephen, but I found that last thirty minutes a little tedious. Um, well, yeah, there's still stuff going on. So I I think the film crescendos. There's a bit where <laughs> it's a bit where Akikazu hits um uh Aikawa with his car. <laughs> he flies into the air. <laughs> I laughed then, but so did so does um Akikazu. And and he sort of drives off, and then the film suddenly sort of shifts gear, <laughs> and there's suddenly this, this this there's been a detective jump where he's worked something out about what's happened with Kanako and who actually has her or had her or how she died, which I don't really think is deserved or earned. It sort of it sort of almost comes out of left field. Um, though though though. There is a clue, and no, I don't know if there's a clue that we'd have been aware of, actually, to be fair. And it just says, ah, so you, tertiary character, you're <laughs> the one that did something with her, and now I'm going to spend 20 minutes... Uh, yeah, the last 20 minutes, I don't know it's quite half an hour, it probably feels longer than it is, but the, la- the, la- the last section of the film feels... Um, it loses all impetus of the movie... So all that, all that, that high energy stuff, and everything else that happened is forgotten about. And the person who, who made Kanako disappear, we had barely seen before. And I don't know, just didn't the the the, the Columbo fan in me was incredibly disappointed with the uh, the the leap that the detective took. It all makes sense, but I think it could have been maybe shown better. Maybe that's a problem with the source material. I don't know. This is a, a fiercely original production, and it's, it's the sort of film that you're kind of ashamed to say that you enjoyed as much as you like. Much like many films in Mickey's outlaw period. So it's like when you say, oh, I like, really enjoyed Dead or Alive, it's sort of like, <laughs> is it, you feel a little dirty watching it, but at the same time, it's just a real visceral thrill to this movie. And it's, I think because it's been directed by someone with skill rather than just like 
someone just determined to like see what's the most weirdest things we can throw at the screen there's some real sort of thought and intention and and filmmaking talent behind the film and i think that's what really helps the film yeah i mean i think i think that's that's the thing that challenges me most with the film is that it's like i said earlier the the, the craft that's put in this film the, the the technical side of things the 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 care that everything's had taken to you know the the acting as well but also the technical side of things the direction is so fantastic <laughs> it's just a shame that there's something about it that for me didn't connect but i absolutely suspected that you'd get a kick out of it because i think it <laughs> I, I i think it that there were a few films around and i was trying to think about what they were i mean confession sort of started it i suppose but there are a few films based on sort of more hardcore novels that got popular in or around now especially with the sort of disaffected youth and stuff like that and this just seems to be the absolute epitome of that and that there's a bit of me that deeply wants to adore this film because i like i don't get me wrong, i'm not i'm not averse to a bit of violence especially creative yeah. violence and well shot and 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 stuff like that i just think it was maybe too much and i think it lacked heart and one of the things about his films other films are although some dark things occasionally happen to people they're absolutely bounding with heart i mean confessions is a little different because again it's based on a novel but the stuff that he's done himself or, or written himself or certainly been involved more deeply in the um in the story um are equally as beautiful, as equally well constructed, as equally interesting, but they have got heart. And this film hasn't got heart, it's got a dark, cancerous growth where the heart should be. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's not the sort of film that I would watch all the time. But, you know, just occasionally, just put it, put it on. I would like, if I had to put a few months between myself and the film now, and like return to it, then I would, I would um, view, it, view it like that. It's not something I would have in the regular ro- rotation. So, but no, I'm I'm certainly glad I enjoyed it, and it, in many ways, it sort of like just reminded me just what interest in cinema is still being made out there because it's certainly we, with the likes of uh, Disney crushing, you know, cinematic creativity with the. By churning out these, you know, pew pew pow pow superhero movies, it's kind of nice to see someone out there just like making such fiercely original cinema, even if it is very diversive and grotesque cinema. And certainly, I mean, we I put it out there to to our listeners. Obviously, if anyone had anything they want to say, and we got some good feedback uh, from it. Uh, Alexandro said, "Monster of a movie, I want more like this." And went on to say that uh, a few years back, he was invited to give a talk about Asian cinema and include a movie. And the local college where he lives in Mexico, the major audiovisual media, um, they basically showed the whole this film in its entirety and just basically upset everyone who was in the auditorium so i just i just don't know why anyone would like if i'm thinking of like i'm given like a rhetorical nation cinema i mean Stephen, i mean what would be the film that comes to your mind of like you know you're gonna give a talk nation cinema and you get to show an asian cinema film what is your sort of go-to film I use not this one. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on the audience. I mean, you could probably you probably go either something you know in in, in our. Archive-
culty world, someone like Battle Royale maybe, or, yeah. or, or maybe even Audition. Um, or you'd pick something more classical, a Kurosawa or something like that. Um, this... Yeah, horses for courses and all that. I cannot think what race this this horse would run in, um, other than a retrospective of the director's work and to show how his work. This wouldn't even be, even if I was picking a, a movie from this director, it wouldn't be this one. <laughs> but it, but it, but it can't. I don't believe you can watch this and be bored. I don't believe you can watch this and not have a reaction to it. So maybe that's the point and and i can't stress more the director is this lovely old man with a big bushy white beard and a lovely smile and was apologizing that he couldn't speak english and if if if, if you saw him <laughs> the squaring the circle between him and this film is really freaking hard <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know sometimes you know in the grindhousey kind of way, you know, a lot of people that make films are quite sleazy, aren't they? <laughs> this, this is like your favourite granddad, and yeah, oh, I don't think it's yeah weird, but yes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd never choose this to show anybody, except to show you because I felt I had some making up to do for some of the other films you haven't enjoyed that I've picked. So, I, I mean, for myself, I mean, yeah, Battle Royale is like. You know, go to film. It's weird. I go Battle Royale rather than before Godzilla, but that's just where my mind went when I was thinking of it. And we like Battle Royale or like Akira would be another one. Or if you really want to blow the mind, show them the Dragon Lives Again, the Bruce Boytation movie where Bruce Lee goes to hell and fights Dracula and James Bond and uh, Django. <laughs> Again, no, it's it's about it's about knowing your audience, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I imagine that one, that, you, you don't even have to know anything about it and someone to have a good time with that one. It's just it, so much it, fun. Exactly. And I guess one of the thing, the other things of that question is, is, is one of the things that we kind of explore in this podcast is that there are all kinds of Asian films. Um, they aren't all chop socky. They aren't all men in rubber suits running around. Um, and thankfully, not all of them are incredibly dark detective films. <laughs> <laughs> that barely let up and then give you a slightly disappointing ending I mean you're, you're, you're equating it to like an Abel Ferrara movie is absolutely perfect I, I, it's what if, what if he had a really good cinematographer <laughs> and, some, it's like, and, and some interesting ideas that, 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 that's how this film would come out I couldn't help but feel that if he had directed Taken, this is what the movie we would have got. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. It's sort of like, a, it's sort of like I'm going to hunt <coughs> you down, and then I'm going to hurt you really, really bad. <laughs> and, and we're going to watch it. We're going to watch every punch, and we're going to watch every, every blow, and then I'm going to come and rape your wife, because there's a lot that of that was, going on. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is where the film sort of, like, got me, and... Like, I'm fine with, like, violence and, you know, people being punched and maimed and stuff. That's fine. But when we start bringing sexual violence into films, unless you've got a really good reason to put it in there, I don't need to see it. And those were those, that's what detracted from the film for myself, other than that last 30 minutes, and why I didn't give it, like, that full sort of five-star rating when I was, like, rating it on Letterboxd. And... Yeah, I, I think that is really problematic because... Uh, there's at least two. Uh, yeah, they are rapes, aren't they? One of his ex-wife there's, and one yeah, of um, one of the other detective's wife, I think. 
uh, the, or the, the hitman's wife. We have the two. The, we have the two rapes here. We have obviously the one of his ex-wife, which is a little more excusable because it serves to show his mental state in the fact that he he basically uh, beats and abuses his ex-wife and then he wakes up the next morning and he like comes out and it's all like oh what what happened here it's like make me breakfast like nothing has nothing untoward inspired at all the second we obviously get the attempt to coerce an underage drinking drinker girl into um having sex with him it's assumed but she's bumped off before anything bad can happen and then obviously to taunt the hitman he rapes his wife which is a very unique way of getting someone to come and hunt you down and just felt really uncalled for um whereas all the other violence and and you know darkness we get in this film is you know it is passable um i had to end in those i mean in those cases you know there's there's the bad people doing bad things to bad other bad people yeah but then there's, there's there's bad people doing bad things to innocence um that's that that's the strike i mean even though i sort of did downplay his wife's innocence ex-wife's innocence earlier on i mean no, she didn't deserve that <laughs> I did, um, the scene where he beats up her lover though yeah he, cra- he, he t-bones <laughs> their car and then he basically like drags him out of the car and is just like beating him up and down the block and like knocks his toupee off and he's just like <laughs> you were baldy <laughs> but and, and that, i mean yeah, that is the other thing. I, I I mentioned it with the um where he hits the guy with the car and he flies up in the air. It's still making me giggle now. There are moments of humour in this film, believe it or not. And I don't know if that's worse. Or not. I remember when I watched it, people were sort of there were moments of laughter, and then you sort of oh my god, this is disgusting. But uh, yeah, um, hmm. <laughs> Um, anything else you want to? No, I don't. Stuff? I never want to talk about this film again. <laughs> no, no, that's not 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 fair. That's not fair. It, it's like you. I'm very unlikely to to put this on unless I want to do it as an example for of this director's work. I could I could absolutely see it. You know how you could look at the trajectory of his work, but it's not going to be a film I come back to again in another five years' mm. time unless. We have some kind of greatest hits episode in five years' time. Always <laughs> um, Zoe hangs out with us. I think this would be like one of those movies because Zoe, obviously, is elbow with the shotgun, the unrated cut. She likes dark cinema. And this would be one of those dark movies that I would watch with her compared to many of the films that she likes to watch, which I feel go way further than, than this film does and certainly don't have the same artistic merit. But I think. Um, I think uh, this would be like something that I would say uh, would be the compromise, should we say? Yeah, I, I, but I think she'd have a tough time with this. But um, I think this sits. You've mentioned some other films like Martyrs and stuff like that, which yeah. which 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 get pretty dark in the violence sense. Serbian movie things like that. I think I think yeah. I think it's it's not a horror film, but it is horrific. Um, so you could you could you could place it under there because of the things that happen within it you know it's a, it's a thriller on the on the top and a very pretty one at that but it's full of really bad people doing really bad things we'll send her a copy and see what she see what uh, <laughs> she makes of it so happy christmas sorry <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it is a Christmas movie, as we said before. <laughs> um, one last thing I want to mention as well um, is just, and this falls into the same sort of category as those anime sequences in just the club sequences where everyone's sort of like doing drugs and drinking and stuff, and it we have like these Snapchat filters like appearing on the screen and stuff, and it's so bizarre the fact that we can have these jarring images of hedonistic, you know, lust and enjoyment. Um, transposed against such dark material uh yeah uh, you if you've never done drugs you will know what it's like after <laughs> watching that sequence yeah there's there's a juxtaposition of all kinds, and that, that those are things that 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 kind of inventiveness and playfulness with what's appearing on the screen is very much kamikaze girls and memories of matsuko and stuff like that they, they, yeah. this is clearly the same director you know his tropes his the way he does things the fast cuts the the the, the time slips and things like that are all, are all there and it's just interesting to see him play a completely different kind of i mean confessions is a pretty dark film yeah um but this that's a two this is a ten <laughs> <laughs> His other stuff are like minus seven. <laughs> um, so yeah, for viewing, where do you want to go next with this one? <laughs> Where do I want to go next? I want to go and have a shower. No. <laughs> um, well, I think I've got two film, two two films that I'd choose. Um, one I've mentioned about eighteen times on the podcast already. Another Tetsuya Nakashima film. So I'd sort of work back through his. Um, through his uh, filmography, and I'd I'd still go for Confessions. I think Confessions are also based on a novel. It's a story of uh, a teacher and her students, um, who basic basically she's getting revenge on the students for killing her child. Um, but there's also stuff with other stuff going on the opening sequence when she sits that stands there and sort of says to her children basically she spends 20 minutes talking to them and basically tells them by the way i've put hiv in all the milk that you've just been drinking <laughs> <laughs> and the, today's the last day i'm being a teacher um it's yeah it, it it's it's kind it's kind of dark i mean that all sounds pretty dark but it's all put together in such a brilliant way and it has a fantastic um performance by takato matsu as as the um, as the wronged teacher, um, so that that's one that I'd go. And then also, what I would go is a South Korean film from 2016 called The Truth Beneath, um, by um, a very rare thing female director called Lee Kyung Mi, who did a couple. Has only ever done three films. One of them being one of my favourite films of all time, which is Crush and Blush, which is like a, a, a weird romantic comedy and another one i think it's princess aurora which is a another sort of female revenge film um this one is a political thriller on the face of it but has similarities with kanoko because basically there's a there's a political candidate and his wife and their daughter goes missing and the and the and the wife goes on a journey to find out what's happened to their daughter and finds out how little she knew about her daughter after all. Stop me if this sounds familiar. <laughs> um, and her daughter's actually having quite a dark life. In some ways, although it's Korean and and slightly different tone, and it's it's a much more gently filmed film film, and it's more about the performances than the theatrics of the directing. Um, it goes even darker, mate. 
<laughs> and, um, <laughs> but really, really good. Um, yeah, The Truth Beneath um, by Lee Kyung Mi. Cool. Um, for myself, I've got a few suggestions. Uh, starting off would be the m- more recent one, which would be The Night Comes for Us, which we've reviewed on this podcast before. Very much in the similar in the same vein as The Raid, and uh, featuring many of the cast members returning to that film. This is a film I actually found a lot harder to watch than this film. Um, Certainly it's a martial arts film, but it's, as I said, much like The Raid, it's got that very high-impact, high-intensity style of violence to it. And it's a film that I had to break up just because the violent onslaught was just so intense. I just needed a little bit of a break partway through the movie just to, you know, refresh and then come back to it because it just felt like overwhelming, the amount of violence being thrown on the screen. But it certainly has its fans. Um both on our, our side and over in like the German's Guide to Midnight Cinema people just still raving about how much they enjoy that movie and you can see what we thought of that film uh, by checking out in our archive the next one would be Beat Takashi's Violent Cop which is um, again it's very similar to this film it's a uh, cop who plays very much by his own rules played by, by the legendary Beat Takashi who um, is looking for his missing sister and uh, feels very little qualm about beating up suspects as we see in the early frames of the film but it's a little bit of slow burn not big on action but very engrossing for Takashi's performance the last one I would uh, recommend is the first part of what was released over here is the Shinjuku Triad Society but I think it's now called uh, I think it's Black Label or Black Dragon uh, Society instead so but it said Takashi Miike Shinjuku Tries Society the first film of the trilogy that included Rainy Dogs and Ley Lines um, very much the same in tone as this film it's just a very grimy and disgusting Yakuza movie but again it's got those fans out there even it's my least favourite of the trilogy much preferred to watch like Rainy Dog which is almost whimsical for a Miike movie <laughs> whimsical <laughs> They fight. They dig up a scooter on a beach that still has fuel in it, and they can ride. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's not as whimsical as the bird people from China, but yeah. No. <laughs> but um, that would be what uh, we recommend, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed this rather grimy episode of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Um, if you want some further listening, make sure you do check out the Hey,昨日のテレビで、昨日のあの子は忘れて、踊り続けていたい。夜の中、昨日のあの子は忘れて、踊り続けていたい。夜の中、昨日のあの子は忘れて、踊り続けていたい。夜中の空胸に刺さった恋の刃が燃えるを思い出狂わせの空昨日の子は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて Oh, so hopefully in the next
next couple of weeks you'll see the I'm producing the podcast for the, the in their own league website the sort of the website that I'm helping with um, talking about female filmmakers and film talent and female any any female that's that's, that's strongly involved in film whether it be cinematography acting directing producing whatever um, so we're putting together a monthly podcast there and I'll be producing it not always on it but i'll be doing the editing and the the music and and stuff like that but i will because you know it's a podcast about women in film it's probably not best that i <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on it completely but um yeah i'll um i'll be advertising that when it's up which cool. should be in the next week or two yeah and uh if you like video games you can also listen to myself and uh kim um, talk about video games over on Game Warp, uh, where recently we were talking about our favourite horror video games, and uh, we've got coming up at the end of the month our review of After Party from uh, Night School Studios, the makers of the rather fantastic Oxen Free. So, uh, plenty to uh, check out. And uh, as I said, we appreciate uh, everyone for listening. And if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button below, and uh, you know leave us a comment. It all helps raise the profile of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and we are also on Twitter, which is AC Film Club. And uh, you can check out our full archive, which is AsianCinemaFilmClub.wordpress.com. Um, but thank you for listening. And uh, on the next episode. We are going to be still staying on our Christmas track as we're going to be looking at Satoshi Kon's Tokyo Godfathers, a film which I've had on my list to watch for quite some time and uh, now finally going to get to cross it off. So really excited to uh, look at that. Stephen, are you familiar with it or seen it? I've I've never seen it, but it's a con film, so I'm expecting good things of it. And um, I'm really excited that you've chosen a Christmas film already, because that means it's Christmas. (laughs) Yep. And you know what, Stephen? We're only two two picks away from Kaiju Christmas. Well, that's that's what makes it all worthwhile. (laughs) The highlight of every film podcasting year. It's... it's, um, yeah, we, we, we haven't had a we haven't had a, a, a kaiju movie for far too long, and therefore, the, the arrival of kaiju Christmas is therefore obviously a great thing. Okay, but uh, well, thank you again for the listening as always, and thank you to my co-host Stephen. Pleasure as always, sir. And uh, we will be back next time to talk about Sashikon's Tokyo Godfathers. Good night. <laughs>